Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com and by RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and thank you very much, uh, TireRack and um, Rock Auto, for being such staunch, long-term supporters of our series. We are all gathered in Studio C at MotorWeek Central for our Podcast 141, and I have around our table today... Uh, writer-producer Brian Robinson. Hello, John. Our writer, Patrick Lucas. It's good to have you back. Thank you very much. Over the edge reporter, Zach Mescal. John, hello. And we're glad to have you with us today, Thank Zach. You. And video editor and increasingly um, uh, contr- uh, uh, heavyweight contributor to these uh, podcasts, Joe Ligo. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Well, we're very good. We're glad to have you here, with Joe. All right, all right. Enough, enough of this BS. We have a lightning round, a viewer question, rant and rave. I hope somebody's got a rant and rave today. Uh, but first, um, a triple of vehicles that we've had through our doors lately, and we're going to talk about. Let's talk about this one because it's kind of. Um, well, I'm not sure what it is. We'll we'll talk about it. The Volkswagen Beetle Dune. Okay, impressions first after you've driven it for a while. What is it? Uh, okay, I'll, go. I'll jump start, in on Brian. that. Yeah, uh, well, and like they've been doing the last few years, they just uh, Volkswagen's been trying to spice up the Beetle uh, sales. They've had like the Denim came out and mm-hmm. all that, and a couple different special models. Uh, this is just kind of a trim package, uh, kind of inspired by 70s uh, Baja Bugs. There is a slight bump in ride height, so it's not all just a trim package. But uh, Still get the standard uh, powertrain. Some unique paint outside yeah. and a couple trick in, uh, interior bits. But uh, otherwise, yeah, standard Beetle. You know, I, I thought it looked pretty good inside and out. Uh, I mean, other impressions, I mean, it's still a very solid you know, driving car. I don't car. think it looked that bad. I yeah. think the interior was great. Uh, yeah. A couple special bits. And just the Beetle uh, in general has a very nice interior. But And uh, that has the new touchscreen thing, too. I was mm-hmm. looking at the road test for that. I tried out the touchscreen in the e-golf we have where like it senses your finger approaching right. which is a Proximity. little it's a little mm-hmm. off-putting at first but then you're kind of like yeah i like that like it's so responsive to yeah. what i'm trying to do because then it can make the button smaller while you're driving oh but please so they don't cover do that up le- they, they <laughs> yeah, cover up less <laughs> they cover up less of the screen but then as soon as you reach for it it knows what you want to touch and makes yeah. all of it bigger, so it's easier to hit. So I think is that our like first that. experience with a proximity touch like that? No, no the Golf uh, GTI right? had it, didn't it? Uh, I'm not sure that There's it's the first golf. one I have for Volkswagen I've seen. Really, but and the I, GM kind of like talked about the it. GM stuff had yeah, had, that as had well. it for a while. Yeah. But I don't remember the uh, icons and the buttons and stuff actually changing size. Yeah, it's like when you get about like a half inch away. They like pop yeah. up to where they're a little bit bigger. I so swear, the GMs are, were different because it, yeah. uh, the icons weren't even there until yeah. you hand approached them. The icons uh-huh. would drop down from the top. I thought our GTI, our GTI it could was have, like that. I don't remember I, it doing I, I that. Remember that? Is does that? Yeah, we're getting a little off topic, but you know, does that make the touchscreens more? Uh, acceptable because uh, we have very. I know we have very mixed feelings around the staff about I'd say touch a, a little bit, but it, it's not like a deal breaker either way. Yeah, for I me. thought yeah. it was kind of just like a, a gimmicky yeah. kind of thing. I didn't really think it enhanced the experience at all. So back to the Dune, uh, a nice package. I thought it looked attractive. You know, has has the market for a car like the Beetle gone? 
Is it still a viable machine? Well, I think, aren't they talking about this being the last gen? Now they've said that now yeah. for the last generation was supposed to be the last yeah. gen. Yeah, I mean, how many people could live with that as their only vehicle? Because it's sort of, well, you don't have much of a backseat. Well, right. I mean, there's plenty of vehicles out there that people couldn't use as their only vehicle. Yeah. But as far as, I mean, if you want a small coupe and you want to, you know, stand out a little bit, Design-wise, I think it's there's still a market for it for sure. <laughs> the the best thing it has going for it is that it just it drives nice. It's a nice driving car. Although you were saying, uh, or you were actually talking about the e Golf, a little bit of uh, mm-hmm. front push. Generally speaking, Volkswagen products we haven't seen uh, any kind of understeer as being a huge problem. I, I didn't think it was in this car. Any comments about what it was I like to drive? I never took the car anywhere close to its limits. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Did we even take that thing yeah. to the track? Yeah, we, yeah, we the, did. The track was yeah. uh, the track pretty portion well. of the road test. Yeah, they seem. You guys seem pretty happy with it. So, if you like a Beetle, if you're interested in one, this is just another um, possibility for it that makes it a little bit more distinctive. And it was distinctive, but I, again, I thought the interior was very nicely done. Now, now mm-hmm. it's front wheel drive only, but can that platform go? All-wheel drive? Well, sure. It's the same platform they've used for... Say it's the Golf, Tiguan platform, platform, yeah. So, but yeah, they yeah. haven't ever done that, at least not that I can remember. There's No, they should. Yeah. I mean, we've always said that. And yeah. certainly in that car, would have been a great time to do it. But Yeah, just the, that would have made sense with that particular trim package. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to another German brand, this case BMW, and the M2, the first M2 ever, and... Um, a car that was, uh, frankly, long anticipated. Brian, why don't you give us a little uh, background history on M2 and the 1 and where it came from and all that? Um, well, you, yeah, there was the 1 Series Coupe, and then that turned into the 2 Series. And then there was the M235, which was a sportier version. And finally, we have the full-on M version. And uh, it's pretty much the car... BMW fans have been screaming for for years, I believe. Um, Go ahead. I'm not the actual BMW yeah. aficionado at the table, so maybe uh, so well, I should jump in at any point in time here. I, it was interesting in, in our road test, we talked about the fact that it, you know, in a lot of ways is actually fairly close to, um, well, it's a true M. It's, it actually has some of the componentry and the suspension from the M3. Uh, and um, the powertrain itself is similar to the 235, but it's got more horsepower. My delight with the car was that I felt like I was getting into a three series of maybe two or three generations ago. Uh, concise in size, uh, light on its feet, uh, just absolutely thoroughly enjoyable to drive. And uh, I'm, I must say right now that along with the X1, I think are my favorite BMWs, but some other comments. Um, what do you think? You had me until X1, but well, I do. Like, I like I like the new X1. I know because it's gone to the front drive chassis. It's not everybody's cup of tea, but I do like it. Um, but that's my opinion. Yeah, so if you're watching the video, by the way, the uh, we just totally had a just camera die. Um, but on anyway, the, um, I did notice the M2 um, active rev matching. 
Yeah, can you turn that off? That was cool. I can you know. turn that you off? You can because yeah. when you go into the yeah. ultimate sport mode, which is what that's probably the one of the biggest complaints with the cars. Yeah, you get into the full sport mode for track and you lose the active red okay. matching, which no. I guess they assume at that point you know you're what you're doing. You know track, what you're doing. But it's still. But I would have liked yeah. to have had it yeah. there. I was like yeah. zooming around town and I thought I was just like really good at, at, <laughs> at downshifting. <laughs> and I was like, no, wait, something's going on here. <laughs> yeah, that was my very first thought when I hopped in it. Was uh, I actually kind of tried to heel toe it. And I was like, man, yeah. like, I'm, I'm going to This car rocks. Like, I'm doing good. Well, isn't that what they want is they bring out cars that make us all better drivers But, yeah, it's once you we turn were. off, uh, I think it's stability control is when the rev matching finally goes away. Mm. So that, that's definitely one of my biggest gripes with the car. And also the seats. What did you guys think about the seats? They were hard. I found them highly uncomfortable. Huh. I didn't notice. That. I didn't mind the cover so much, but on track there was very little bolstering. I was kind of all over, hmm. all over the place trying to keep myself uh, situated. But other, uh, so they weren't that great. Now, yeah. I was surprised that my wife Cheryl, who obviously experiences a lot of the cars that we have in, that she didn't complain about the ride. The ride's stiff, but the rest, the car for some reason was able to. Deliver a lot of enjoyment, even to somebody that doesn't drive performance cars a lot. And yet, it was quite stiff, and it was very, but it was still compliant. It was not like you were riding a buckboard or anything. Yeah, on track. I mean, it was a blast. It was just yeah. a really fun, fun car. Um, oversteer there if you want it. Uh, neutral you if you it want it to Summit, be neutral. Right. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, it was a hoot. What is the price? Outrageous for an M? I think 54000 bucks is cheap. Low, yeah, I thought it was pretty low. Yeah, 80% of what an M4 costs. And, I, and a good strategy, I think they did. There's like virtually no options yeah. you can get. You can add one executive package because then you would be up in M4 territory. So, uh, yeah, they keep it reasonable price. Yeah, I, I think all the way around is probably – I bet they easily sell – more than they expect because of the price. I'd like to add that that's one of my favorite cars that I've driven from BMW mm-hmm. in a while. Um, I agree with that. Yeah, you know, the M4 is great, and this thing's got you know maybe some brakes from the M4 suspension components. It, it shares a lot of stuff. So I mean, the car is really beefed up for being as small as it is. Just like you said, John, it does feel mm-hmm. like the older three series. Yeah. Um, no, no electronics in the suspension. I mean, correct. it's, it's yeah. just well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, it, yeah, they definitely got that feeling back. Yeah, so it was very refreshing, especially since the M235, which I was a huge fan of. Um, that thing really got me pumped up to, you know, sit in a BMW again. But this car, definitely a winner. For anybody who doesn't know, Brian, you want to just real quickly the difference between the M235 and the M2? I mean, the M235 is basically trim plus a little engine, right? Um, there's, it's more than that. I mean, yeah. it's a fairly – Sporty version mm-hmm. of the uh, of the two series, but it is a, a tweener. It's you know, yeah, yeah. yeah but still, just next I, level. it's still a nice car. Mm. All right, uh, moving on to our third car of this uh, podcast, the Buick Cascada. Cascada. You know, I have to stop mm. myself. Waterfall. It <laughs> sounds so fancy. Cascada makes me think of toast. Uh, otherwise known as the Opal Cascada, which has been on the market for 2012, Buick's first convertible in quite a while. Uh, a car that Buick itself says will mostly be uh, driven by people in rental fleets in Florida, uh, and they're using it something as a, right. as a vehicle to say, like, hey, this is Buick, and you maybe didn't expect it, and why don't you go look at the rest of the stuff? But I got to like it. I got to tell you, it has some shortcomings, but I like this car. I thought it was a very pretty convertible, not badly priced. 
It's a, so it's basically an Opal. Comments? Yeah, uh, I'll agree somewhat. It is a it is a nice looking car, and it, it actually was fairly entertaining to drive. It had definitely a split personality. The mm-hmm. the roof when yeah. it's up, it has a Lots really substantial it has a really yeah. substantial header to it, yeah. and it makes it drive like an entirely different car as far as handling. Um, with the top down, it's kind of flabby feeling, it's a cruiser. which you expect in a Buick, I guess. So it's not out of character. But um, I, I I want to. Counter. I want to actually add to what you're saying. I can't remember another recent convertible where the difference between top up and top down solidity was as large as this. I felt like I was in a different car. That uh, could definitely use some more power. I'm yeah. not the most power hungry guy on the staff, but um, um, it was barely 200 adequate. horse, and it's a fairly heavy car. Yeah, Pretty heavy it's car. in it. We're, it's what the one six turbo, yeah. or, and it it works hard to get that 200. Other comments? Uh, I thought the, uh, the top operation was Terrific. probably about as good as you can get in a convertible. Yeah. I mean, it was just and you still literally have one step. You just hold it, and like you can probably go up to, what, like 20 miles an hour or something yeah. like that. But, but, I mean, pretty quick. Had a good uh, a good system for cargo. You could still get yeah. a decent trunk. You could um, fold down rear seats. Um, I don't think any of us really like the uh, center pod switches that uh, direct carryover from Opal. Too many switches that look the oh same. Oh my gosh, so many like buttons. Yeah, and, and they all look the same. Indicators and, and all even sorts of the stuff. the top on the console, the top button and the parking brake are side by side. And I continuously oh, reached for uh, the wrong one. And some hard plastics on the interior. On the other hand, it had the seatbelt presenters for the front seats like, you know, a Mercedes SL. It had some other features that were very high-end. And at 33, there's only two models, 33,000 and then 37,000 loaded. It really doesn't have a lot of competition. Uh, that's for sure. Mostly uh, European. Certainly no other uh, like the, American. Like uh, the EOS, yeah. maybe from Volkswagen. Yeah, which I thought was actually gone, but it's yeah, not. Yeah, so did I. It's and not. I looked uh, it up yesterday. It's like, oh, they still. I sell think they it. stopped making them six years ago, but they just keep selling the ones. <laughs> they've, that they have. they've got but, them in uh, a warehouse yeah, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I noticed the Cascada, by the way, is based on the um, Verano chassis, which just this week. Buick has sort of said the Verano is going to go away after the 2017 model year because so many people are buying um, uh, uh, Encores. Encores. Uh, so, but nice car. If you're looking for, and it's summertime, coming up to summertime, if the weather ever gets warm here in the mid-Atlantic, if you're looking for a reasonably priced four-seat convertible, mind you, the back seat's not huge, but it can put two adults in if you want. Uh, the Cascada is very impressive, and the price is reasonable, and um, I wouldn't just relegate that car to a rental fleet. I think it's better than that. Who, who would have thought Buick would have made a com- convertible? Well, they sound like a commercial right yeah. now. No, no, really? That's exactly no, really? what no, I think commercial says. Okay, fine. If, yeah. Well, they've made but, convertibles before. I mean, the Riata, among some other uh, less memorable, or I should say. But it just seems, I, I don't know, I mean, when the Chrysler... Uh, 200 convertible went away it was like okay well there's not going to be any more like convertibles aside from muscle cars, i think but, part of it was most of the buick lineup is rebadged opals to begin yeah. with so they're looking at what other opals can we bring in here and make a buick hey how about the it's rel- relatively inexpensive it's gotta, yeah and my actually biggest bone is the fact that we saw this car a year and a half ago at the preview and I'm sitting there looking at it, and they had Buick had just saw, shown the Avignard with its new grill, and I'm thinking, 
Are you telling me in a year and a half you can't do more to the grill on this thing than just put an opal badge? I mean, a Buick badge where the opal badge was. That's my only complaint is that they they should have spent fifty bucks and put an Avignard type grill on it. But I guess. Yeah. And I'm standing there with one of their designers, and he says, "Yep, you're right." <laughs> and I said, "Thanks." Anyway. You, got, you got a future in this industry. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, future. <laughs> yeah. I hope. Moving on. It's now time for our lightning round. Thanks, everybody. That was a, that was a good uh, three rounds. Our lightning round. Our panelists have two minutes to debate a trending topic. Time's up. They'll hear the bell. Patrick. Hey now. Ride sharing is uber popular, <laughs> pun intended, uh, our producer says. And Uber and Lyft both seem to be grasping for more headlines by both openly embracing driverless cars. Whether that will work or not remains to be seen. But for us MotorWeek staffers, we do wish we do use ride sharing. I certainly do. Um, so what do we think of the whole Uber concept? Do we think that um, driverless cars, autonomous cars, will uh, spread this uh, their popularity? Or do you think Uber and Lyft will spread driverless car popularity? What do you think? Personally, I just uh, most recently in New York for four days, I used Uber almost exclusively. I think I paid maybe 20% more than a cab, but at least I had legroom and a clean vehicle, and I liked it. Never tried them, but I'm not opposed to the uh, idea. And certainly when driverless cars, you know, uh, get more uh, mainstream, I think that's a good place for them. Sure. I'm sure they're looking at that thinking, gosh, we can get rid of the driver. I was about to say, that's the only scary part is that, like, you're – You have no idea who you're getting picked up by. Well, I'm not talking about from a consumer standpoint. I'm talking about from, like, a business standpoint. You would – I mean – what are you going to do? Like all these, you're not going to have anyone to drive the cars, <laughs> right? Do? And then you're going to you have to buy these vehicles as opposed to allowing your employees to use their own vehicles. Oh, you're talking about the actual outlay for Uber <laughs> itself. Well, that's true. It, well, will, it, it will require more capital on if, their part. If you owned a self-driving car, could you rent it out to Uber? Uh, Maybe. Uh, who knows? I suppose like, that's a possibility. You could just be sitting in your house and your car would just zoom off. Yeah, and it's making money for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the concept of could, Uber is already amazing. Like, let's all just sit around here and hire people to drive their own cars yep. and – you know, go out and pick people up and get us paid and get them paid just a little bit, you know. So um, either way, all I'm saying is that uh, once they go driverless, it's like, I don't know, what's the difference than it is right now even? Yeah, let me, I I do want to ask this question because I'm old. Do you think this is unfair for taxi cab companies? No. I think it's capitalism at its finest. I'm not sure it's unfair. Um, They can compete just like any other company can compete. Uh, I'm not sure how long the government's going to let it go on before they finally step in. But well, not- actually, what was it just this week? Austin, um, Austin, Austin Texas. Yeah. They're going to shut down both Uber and Lyft because yeah. of that. Right? They passed. They passed pa- some ordinance or something, and Uber and Lyft just said, "Fine, we'll cancel service for the whole city until you change your mind." And so, like, if you, they showed screenshots of people getting on their phones. It's like, sorry, Uber is not available in Austin. Here, contact your, you know, contact yeah. your councilman. Contact. So but, you know but, that but, there's like. But if you're a, a, a a cab company, all right, and you've got a car, and you have to put in the security screen, and then your driver has to go through, you know, at least some kind of uh, verification and training. 
don't you think that the Uber drivers should have to do something to kind of level the playing field? I, I guess that's really the question. I like getting in an Uber vehicle because it's usually cleaner. It doesn't have that big piece of plexiglass that takes up all the legroom. But what about just driver training? I mean, I know the Uber driver sits there with the GPS to find out where he's going. But is it is it fair? Or should cities just say, okay, we're going to just reduce the restrictions on all of them? These are all good questions, John. And we have time and, left. They have to hear the bell. And we are out of time. All right. <laughs> they are good questions, Sorry. but uh, we, I think, uh, we could summarize that we are fans of it, of Uber. Uh, and what? GM just bought a big hunk of Lyft, I think. Yeah. Okay, talk about viewer question. Kenny asked, I own a 2012 Volks, uh, Volvo XC60 R design all-wheel drive with a 3-liter six-cylinder turbo engine. Uh, 326 horsepower. My wife and I are researching another Volvo, but I have found out that they are currently using all four-cylinder engines, and I have researched that they are in the process of designing a 400-horsepower four-cylinder engine. I wish that you could provide some insight about these powerful four-cylinder engines. I'm old school, cannot understand paying a lot of money for any vehicle that uses a small motor. Well, welcome to the new world. Times are changing. Get used to it. Uh, the simple fact is, Kenny, that with the um, unadulterated 54.5 mile per gallon uh, fuel economy standard still on the books and now less than eight years away from full implementation, uh, the car companies are pulling out all the stops, stops and really reducing displacement is the only way to significantly get um, – the pollution down that the cars produce and the mileage up. And by throwing turbochargers, and in Volvo's case, a supercharger and a turbocharger onto the engine and electric motors, you haven't seen anything yet. If you think stuff's getting complicated and crazy now, it's going to start ratcheting up around 2020. Yeah. And about, who, go ahead. Um, I was saying, how about that? Uh was it the Ford, the one-liter yeah. engine that they could fit in, like, a carry-on bag? Oh, yeah, the EcoBoost. Yeah. Yeah, like, the three-cylinder EcoBoost. Yeah. That, uh, I think you can get that in a Fiesta. Fiesta, I think yeah. so, yeah. I mean, I mean, somebody, a uh, friend of mine was buying a, a Hellcat, and I said, well, you better buy one now, because I think in two years, I don't think anybody sees how that car is even possible. Um, we've said that before, and we would look at the exotics. They're they're throwing electric motors onto everything to, to uh, boost the power. Uh, smaller engines with some kind of either electric, turbo, supercharger, or all three boost are coming. Uh, they're expensive to make. They're going to probably be more expensive to maintain. But if you want a good old six or eight, you probably are going to be relegated to the used market in a couple of years. Yeah. Have you heard anything about how that uh, XC90 engine is doing? I mean, it makes I, me nervous. Supercharged and turbocharged. And Chinese and made. made in China. Yeah. yeah. So. That's like a trifecta of disaster, but uh, it would make me probably want to go lease one right off the bat instead of buy but one. Having been on sale for what, like six months or so now, yeah. I haven't really heard any issues. I don't know. They uh, they're taking orders. They're basically selling everyone they get. A friend of mine down in South Carolina just put his wife, who's a real estate agent, into one, and she came out of a Range Rover and she got in it and drove it for thirty seconds and fell in love with it. So we haven't heard – I don't think any of us have heard any uh, complaints about it. And uh, Pat Goss, I know, hasn't said anything on his radio show. So my guess is it's too early to tell about the longevity. I will say that Volvo's is a 
as a brand can be rather expensive to maintain once all the powertrain warranties run out, but that so that may not be something very new. So recommend it to a friend, but don't get one for yourself yet? Um, I tell you, <laughs> we had an old Volvo uh, cross-country, and my spouse really liked the XC90, so I'm not so sure it's out of the picture for us. But, you know, right now it's a bargain. It's not going to be a bargain in a year from now. They've already started to boost the prices. Hmm. So, uh, But... Good luck, Kenny. Uh, find yourself something that you like and take good care of it and hold on to it because, um, as someone said, times are changing and they're going to change even more. Rant and rave time. Anybody got anything that um, – Joe Liga. I've, I've got Joe a Liga's good one. Got one. Oh, Joe's one, got something. This one, okay, this one requires a oh, diagram. Oh, so I'm sorry for the listeners. <laughs> well, I'll, we, I'll we, lost cam. we lost oh, one of our cameras. Oh, so. Yeah. gosh. So, but uh, with touchscreens, oh, we were talking right, about touchscreens earlier. Hold on. Let him hold it. Why, why is what it? Is that? Why, those are, you know how on the touchscreen, like, you'll go to, like, hit a button. For some reason, all the buttons are always really long and wide and skinny. And my issue is when you're driving, you go to hit this button and you're, you know, hit bumps or whatever. You're doing this. And you, they put these long, thin buttons, especially for phone numbers. And you go to, like, call someone That's or to change the That's why station. you're supposed to use voice rec- the voice recognition. I... I don't know. It it annoys me. I like that's why I, I like Chrysler's U Connect because like the buttons are square instead of these long thin rectangles mm. that are harder to hit because your hand like I said none of them work well at that point yeah. if you're bouncing around like that. right and the what voice recognition on, systems <laughs> yeah the, the, <laughs> the, the, the pavement you'll be much better off well, we I, have this XC um, sixty N uh, Infinity not XC uh, QX, QX sorry QX sixty N Infinity and. The, it's it's you know the design's been around for a while. The voice recognition system. I tried. I was in the same boat you were. I wanted to put in uh, an address, and you know I wouldn't let you do it. So fine, hit the voice recognition. It's like forever to get to the proper place. And then right. of course because yeah. it hasn't learned my voice, it keeps tries to send me to. God knows where. Wait, you're John Davis. It definitely knows your voice. It doesn't know my voice. <laughs> they pre-program in every system a John Davis voice recognition. Right. Along with that that animated female voice that yeah. they all pop up with. Anyway, I don't think any of these systems are where they ought to be. But so I don't just. I think we all agree with you. Yeah, this, just, sort it of, seems like they need to hire someone who's got more user interface. There's knowledge. sort of an odd disconnect between like a lot of men, like Ford. I think is. On, on a good path because, like, their Sync 3 is pretty intuitive, and then they also have CarPlay and uh, Android Auto. But then, like, certain other manufacturers, I'm not – I won't name anyone, but, like, are just so far off, and it's clear that they just don't care at all. Do we still think that the best infotainment systems all around tend to be the Chrysler Uconnect and the Hyundai Kia system? Uh, the, recently, the Kia one's been kind of bothering me because it's a little slow, mm-hmm. um, especially when you start the vehicle up. It takes a while for everything to – boot up but um i do like uconnect like i said i like sync mm-hmm. three um that's just me the um i just i they want everybody they keep saying everybody needs to you know start using voice commands well that's fine but they need to make the voice systems more easier to use you shouldn't yeah. have to put in three commands to change a radio station i think yeah now the the cadillac two uh, knobs are cool Huh? Two knobs are cool for Two changing knobs radio are really stations. Cool. Yeah. The CT6 Cadillac we had in, which I think most of us agree, could seriously use some uh, manual controls. 
It actually had one of the best uh, voice recognition systems I've seen yet. I mean, you could give it one command. It paused for a bit, but it got it in most cases. I like that on the that version of Q, there's a tune keypad. You yeah. can just instantly and then hit Thank that goodness. and then tune in, you know, 105, whatever. Put the number instead of having to hunt down a list. Yeah, I thought that worked really well and it was easy, easy to get to. Yeah. Uh, Okay, I guess that wraps up this rant and rave session and wraps up our MotorWeek podcast number 141. I want to thank everybody around the table. Our writer-producer, Brian Robinson, writer Patrick Lucas, over-the-edge reporter, Zach Maskell, video editor, Joe Ligo, our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and, of course, our podcast producer, Patrick Lucas, the guy with the bell. Ding, ding. Yep, ding, ding. Thank you all for listening to our podcast. We really do have a lot of fun uh, doing them for you. And thanks for being such uh, loyal fans of Motor Week on both public television and on Velocity. Till next time, I'm John Davis. Thanks and drive safely for all of us at Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com and by rockauto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.